We're continuing our series, God is Love, as I mentioned. And uh, even as I start that, God is love. It almost seems too obvious to even, I don't know, to talk about. God is love. I mean, you don't even become a Christian unless you know that. How do you enter the Christian faith without knowing God is love? But I wonder if there aren't degrees of knowing that God is love. Uh, I think the real degree to which we know God is love is reflected in our love for one another. The real degree to which we know that God is love is reflected in our love for one another. That's what John's talking about. If we remember from last week, John's writing to reassure believers. False teachers have come and they and their followers have now left the church. And John's writing to talk about those who truly know God behave in this way. Um, My grandma um, lived with us. Uh, She helped raise me and my older brother. And um, she was a significant and foundational part of my spiritual formation. Uh, She was 103 when she passed away and was still very with it. And there was a point in my life where I knew that my knowledge of God, my knowledge of the scriptures surpassed hers. But my grandma knew God better than I knew him. She knew the God of love better than I knew him because it was reflected in her ability to love. It was reflected in her ability to lay down her life. And that's still true to this day, but she was 103, so I've got some time. Well, none of us know how much time we've got, but, but I've got some time to grow in my understanding that God is love. And that will be reflected in my love. And when we say one another, remember John is particularly talking about the love within the family of God. So you will know how well I know that God is love by my love for you. And I will know how well you know that God is love by your love for your fellow brothers and sisters. John makes this an essential mark of a true believer, a follower of Christ, a child of God. This is the mark. You'll know them by how they love one another. And just to make sure I'm understanding this passage properly, please look at it with me. Um, Next slide, thank you. Can you read that? Oh, a bit small. Oh, good. Someone can. That's great, Brad. Well done. Um, I just wanted to put the whole passage on one slide because sometimes you can only see something when you put the whole passage or when you're looking at the whole passage at once. Um, Next slide for me, Chris. I want you to look at the first the the first part of it, the end part of it, the middle, and in it I think you'll see the gist of what it's saying. Um, Next slide again. So we read in in the first part of the passage, verse 11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. And then if I read the middle passage, um, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then the second last verse reads, um, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. 
Um, if I were to take a guess of what this passage is about, I think it's about loving one another. I think that's on the basis of the fact that Jesus loved us. And then I think John's trying to make this clear link between believing in Jesus and loving one another. These two things go hand in hand. If you believe in Jesus, you will love one another. And these two things are inseparable. I think that's the basic gist of the passage. But if I would unpack that a little bit more. Next slide for me, Chris, thanks. Um, In that first verse, he says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Well, how does he first let us look at that? Well, he actually gives us a negative example. He says, don't be like Cain. So if you want to know how to love one another, don't be like Cain. He gives us the negative. And he goes on to talk about hate. Um, He says that anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. It's almost as though there's only two options. There's love and there's hate. There's nothing in between. He makes such a stark picture, doesn't he, that hate is the equivalent to murdering. And in this, we can hear that John is actually picking up on Jesus' own teaching. If some of us remember, Jesus said that you have heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you even are angry at a brother or sister, it's the equivalent of that. And so you can hear John picking up on that idea. If... If hate is the seed of murder, what is the seed of hate? If hate is the seed of murder, if we know that hate will lead ultimately to murder, and if not, if not actual murder physically, hate in a sense is killing people. Even if it's not literally physically killing people, you are destroying and cutting down people. It's a form of murder. If hate is the seed of murder, what is the seed of hate? I think if we look at this, I think the seed of it is not loving. If we're not loving, what are we doing? If we were created to love, and as we look further in to what love is, if part of that might be building one another up, if that's what we were created to do, if we're not loving, what are we doing? I think not loving will ultimately lead to or is a form of hating. It's like there's nothing in between. So, so if we do think about what love is, then how, how can we define it? Um, next slide, Chris. So when we come to the middle of the passage, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So here he lays out, this is what love is. If, if we want to define it, There are quite a few verses in the New Testament that sort of have that kind of line. This is what love is. And then you should take note of what it says after that. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And and that almost sounds, well, I think it's easy to almost not really think too hard about that if I think that laying down my life is being willing to die for my fellow brothers and sisters, I might not have to reflect on that too much. Um, When will I literally have to take a bullet for one of you? I'm not sure. But the very next verse starts to spell that out a little bit more. So the next verse, thanks, Chris, um, is if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, almost as though you're closing your heart, 
How can the love of God be in that person? So he gives us an immediate example of how this laying down of our life might look. It's that if there was a brother or sister in need, and we close our heart, that's the opposite of what it is to lay down our life. The verses that follow continue to talk about the heart, and I think it's all connected, and I don't have time to go into it as much as I'd like, but let me quickly um, speak out these verses and listen for the word heart, and then I want to share with you something that will help hopefully pull it together. So he says, this is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in God's presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. You can hear there's a lot of talk about the heart. I think a big part of what this is all about is a generosity of heart towards fellow brothers and sisters. And I think this because I actually think verse 17 is actually based on an Old Testament passage. And when I read it to you, you'll hear the heart and you'll hear some of this idea of generosity. So I think it's actually based on Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 to 10. It reads like this, listen for heart and listen for the generosity of heart. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of cancelling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing." That is, every seventh year, their commands were that they had to cancel all debts. So you might have this generosity towards um, one of your fellow neighbours and then you go, oh, it's the sixth year. Maybe I don't want to really lend to them because next year is the seventh year and I've got to cancel the debt. It's saying don't have that wicked thought in your heart. It's almost like your heart could have a natural response of generosity and love, but then you think you might lose something. You might be giving something away that you can't get back. So then you close your heart. It says, don't have that wicked thought. It says, they then may appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Why? Because God knows our hearts. He knows the motivations of our hearts. He knows all. And so it says, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Does this not sound like the last part of what John was saying? Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Can you see how this passage is about a generosity of heart? It's about how we expend ourselves for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I can look at other passages if we want to talk about love for the world. There's plenty of that. But John is particularly talking about, and the reason why I keep bringing it back to this is because none of us can get away from this. We know whether we're loving one another or not. I could walk out these doors and you don't know whether I love the world or not during the week, but we know whether we love one another. We know whether we're expending ourselves for one another. It's a bit hard to hide from that. 
just like in a family. It's a bit hard to hide, isn't it? You know your family. You know your family in a way that others don't know. This is about a generosity of heart, how we expend ourselves for our brothers and sisters. I think there are things that harden our heart and that might stop us from loving one another in this generous way. Uh, There are many things. Let me just share a couple. I think we've been sold the lie that we will find fulfilment when we please ourselves. I think we've been sold the lie that we will find fulfilment and satisfaction when we please ourselves. Do what you want. Do what makes you happy. Now, a good lie is always a half-truth. That's what makes it a good lie. Because there's some truth in that. God has blessed you. God wants you to be happy and enjoy life, give thanks to him. But when it's at the expense of your generosity of love towards others, that you think about your own fulfilment but not your brothers and sisters, that's where the issue comes in. So it's a half-truth which makes it a lie. The remedy to this lie that we find our fulfilment when we please ourselves, the remedy to this is generosity. The way that I can guard myself upon my own self-interest is to practice generosity. Practice generosity with my time, with my energy, with my finances. Because the more I'm trying to be generous, the more I'm pushing against believing that lie. I think the other lie that we've been sold is that life and love should be convenient. That life and love should be convenient. I'm the first to tell you I don't do too well when things are inconvenient. Uh, It doesn't take much as well for it to be inconvenient for me. Uh, When things are put out of sorts, maybe maybe I'm on the spectrum of OCD, I'm not sure, but when things are out of place, I just... The remedy for believing the lie that life and love should be convenient, the remedy is learning to have a love that accepts inconvenience. What if that became the new measure of love? Like today, are you willing to be inconvenienced? Because if you're not willing to be inconvenienced, you will miss an opportunity to expend yourself and lay down your life. That's what laying down your life is. And of course, the motivation and impetus for this is that God is serving you right now. He loves you. He's laid down his life and he serves you even now. That's the basis of your love for your fellow brothers and sisters. Where is all this heading? When we come to our, um, thanks Chris, Um, Second last verse, it says, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. And again, here he is being very explicit. These two ideas are, you can't have one without the other. You can't say you believe in Jesus. And when he talks about Jesus, when he says believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, that's shorthand for saying believing in the Jesus that he's been speaking about all through this letter, that this is the Jesus who has come in flesh, This is the Jesus whose life was an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the Jesus who's driving back darkness, that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. This is the Jesus. If you believe in this Jesus, then you will love one another. These two things are inseparable. Where is this all heading? What is the goal? 
The goal is to become one with the God who is love. The goal is to become one with the God who is love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's a perfect community of love. Uh, the Christian faith of the monotheistic religions, that is a belief in one God. So you have Islam, you have Judaism, and you have Christianity. Of these religions, when I think of that idea, God is love, I don't know how Islam and Judaism can say that in the same way that Christianity can. You see, in order to love, there has to be an object. Before creation, before anything was, how can God be love? In order for the attribute of love to exist, there has to be an object, because then you can say, I love. Before anything was, God is love in the, in the Christian faith, because there's a community of love. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that is a perfect community of love. Even before anything was, God is love. And then the goal of all of this is that we are invited into this community of love. We are invited into the Godhead. We're invited into this community of love to become children of God. What a privileged position that is. And so we can see that in the final verse. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave, gave us. This is that oneness with God. God is love. And we are his children. God is love and we are his children. As I close, I want to do one little exercise with you. I want you to exercise your imaginations um, with me for a moment. Imagine uh, Christ has returned. Imagine we are in the new heavens and the new earth and the community of love has been perfected. You're standing there, you're relating with your fellow brothers and sisters, but you are seeing them now in all their glory. There's none of the sin, just all of what God has intended, they are truly children of God and you see it in the fullest sense. And they are glorious. You're looking at your fellow brothers and sisters. And now from this place of eternity, you look back and you look back to the way you related to them, the way you looked at them and the way they were. What would it take for them, what is it that they need to become the person you now see them to be. This new creation, glorious. What is it that they need? Isn't it that they need the love of God? Isn't it that they need the love of their fellow brothers and sisters that they may become all that God has called them to? Jesus laid down his life so that we can reflect the full nature of children of God. Will we lay down our lives for one another? that we may help each other reflect the full nature of children of God. When we cultivate a joy for the fulfilment of our brothers and sisters, this is the greatest remedy against a generous, a generous heart.
It's the greatest remedy. When, when you actually find delight and joy in watching your fellow brothers and sisters, your family grow up into who they are, and, and you get excited about that, you're like, I see them growing up. I see them getting it. I see them becoming who God intended them to be. When that excites you, that will guard you against having a closed heart and a generous heart. You'll be happy to expend yourself because it brings your joys completed. Isn't that what John says at the start of his letter? I write this so that our joy may be complete. He's writing this because if they are built up, if they continue on in, this, in their faith, this will complete his joy. We have to cultivate a joy for the fulfilment of our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Most loving Father, thank you for making us a part of your family May your spirit enable us to live as your true children, loving one another as Jesus loved us. Amen.